Welcome back to the Stride Project, where we stride for lives. Today, we have Carolyn Breinick, the author of Faith, Hope, and Cancer. Hi, and welcome back to the Stride Project. Uh, today, we have Carolyn Breinick, who is the author of Faith, Hope, and Cancer, The Journey of a Childhood Cancer Survivor. This book is her personal story, and you can find this on Amazon, I know, because I Googled it. And um, Carolyn is a or Carolyn is a dual certified recreational therapist and a child life specialist. She has more than 25 years working with pediatric cancer patients, being a strong advocate and voice for childhood cancer survivors while helping them battle their cancers along the way. And today we are so honored to learn more about Carolyn's story from battling acute lymphocytic leukemia at the age of 14 and how she navigated life afterwards. Um, I cannot wait to hear your story. Um, she is now celebrating her 30th anniversary. Congratulations on that, by the way. And welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you absolutely. for making time for us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, tell us a little bit about what you've been up to. Well, um, I've done a lot in my life. Uh, you know, I, I survived cancer. I went to college. And I originally wanted to become a zoologist. So I actually went to Ohio State and went to school for zoology, did an internship with uh, dolphins and fell in love with dolphin therapy, which oh wow. brought me to recreational therapy and working with kids with cancer. And that has just kind of led my life um, to the point where I am now more or less volunteering um, in a bunch of various um, cancer organizations I left the workforce um, mainly because I now live in an RV, a big 40-foot motorhome, and I travel the country with my husband and two dogs. So traveling the country and working um, in a physical place makes it a little difficult. Yeah. yeah what that's, an adventure. That's amazing. I know. That that's sounds so awesome. like That's like on my bucket list for sure. Uh-huh. Like travel yeah. and not, you know, you just kind of pick up and go. How long have you guys Is there been a favorite? doing that for? Oh. Mm-hmm. We've been doing it for six years now. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And my favorite, everybody always asks, you know, what's your favorite states? And yes, I, I was going to ask that. North and South Dakota, believe it or not. Really? Um, there is a national park, Teddy Roosevelt National Park in North Dakota, yes. which is by far my favorite national park out there. Um, it is a little bit of everything, and there's so many um, opportunities to get pictures of buffalo and wild horses. Oh, wow. And there's a petrified forest there. It's just a little bit of everything in huh. a very small space. And because it's North Dakota, no one else is there. No, seriously, because <laughs> that was it's not very what I was thinking at all. <laughs> I've been to North Dakota one time, and I've been wanting to go back to explore more. Well, I didn't know you've been there. Yeah, I drove there. Hmm. That's so cool. That's really so cool. So North and South Dakota. I'm going to put that on my they bucket list. You, you're wow. you're hitting a lot of my bucket list items right now, by the way. Motorhome, <laughs> traveling, and North Dakota. I'm writing this down. <laughs> All right. So you were diagnosed with, I'm going to say it wrong again, so I'm going to let you say it. it's limb. Lymphocytic leukemia. At age 14, what, I mean, is that a, a, a different type of leukemia? I have never heard of that. Um, it's ALL. Um, a lot of times you'll hear it as acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Um, it's just the specific type. I don't know what makes lymphocytic 
different than lymphoblastic. Okay. Um, I just know that when I was originally diagnosed uh, on my paperwork that they gave me, you know, 30 years ago, that that is what was listed is lymphocytic leukemia. Okay. What did that entail um, when you were diagnosed? So I was actually diagnosed um, five days before my 14th birthday. Oh. Um, so what that entailed was, you know, a lot of, at the very beginning, survival mode. Like, mm -hmm. oh, wait, um, I have cancer. Great. Uh, let me uh, get a tutor so I can, you know, stay in school. Right. And with leukemia, um, specifically, treatment is two and a half years long. Okay. Um, there's many phases of uh, the leukemia treatment, mainly because leukemia cells like to hide throughout your body. Mm. And so they have so many phases because they will zap you with chemo, put you on a break, let the little leukemia cells come out of hiding. Okay. And then you're in another phase where they'll zap your body with that stuff with chemo and get all those leukemia cells. So it's kind of a little cat and mouse game is what I remember being told wow. um, with the leukemia cells. And then I was also diagnosed at the with the generation where uh, cranial radiation was actually also part of my treatment. Oh. So I also received 10 days of cranial radiation. I was one of the last generations to have that as part of my treatment because they have since realized that the long-term effects don't outweigh the benefits of having um, yeah. cranial radiation. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I basically started treatment um, in the middle of my eighth grade year, and I ended treatment at the end of my sophomore year of high school. Okay. What, what was that like? I mean, being 13, 14, I mean, those are vital years of just there's just so much going on in your body already just develop mm. development and then you know social life and social, friends yeah. um you said you were having to do schooling from home oh yes i um my social life took a big plummet for basically many years honestly yeah um i have a different story than most people. Um, you often hear, you know, somebody getting diagnosed with cancer and everybody rallies behind them. You know, they might shave their heads for somebody yeah. and do these things. <clears throat> I did not have that. Um, my friends kind of just disappeared. And <sighs> at the time, it was really hard for me. I didn't understand. I needed them. I needed that connection. And you know, this was back in 1994. So you didn't have cell phones, you didn't have social media, you didn't have these things to connect people. Right, right. right. Yep. And, mm -hmm. you know, my friends moved on with their lives. You know, when you're a kid, you know, you're used to broken legs, you're used to broken arms that yeah. heal, you know. And you can still participate. Months. Yeah. Cancer's not that. Cancer, you know, takes you away from home. You know, I was social distancing before social distancing was a thing. Right. Yeah, um, and, you know, my friends, as, as, you know, they were there on my birthday. They threw me a wonderful surprise party for me on my birthday. Mm -hmm. But then their lives went back to normal. Yeah, you know, yeah. my life stood still while their lives went on. I don't fault them for disappearing. Right. Um, now, um, you know, looking back as an adult, I understand, yeah. you know, what happened. But in the time, 
it was really hard for me because it basically, I had a family, you know, I had brother, sister, and, you know, mom and dad, but it was more or less my mom and I, um, you know, my dad had to go to work. He had to pay the bills. He yeah. had to have the medical insurance, mm-hmm. you know, he had to support the family. My brother was in high school and he wanted to continue his normal life. Of course. And my mom and I were the two that were kind of stuck together um, to, you know, be each other's friends. Uh, my sister was a freshman in college, so she was in a whole different city. So mm. she had a whole different experience of what yeah. I went through. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it really, it hurt. Um, and being that I had a tutor, you know, I didn't go into the classroom due to, you know, infection risks and things like that. And, right. you know, I saw my friends periodically at like eighth grade school functions that I was able to participate in. Mm-hmm. But it was the casual, hey, hi. And then they'd go off and do their own things that yeah. I wasn't able to participate in. And again, they wanted to be normal eighth grade kids. Yeah, that's a hard age. You know? It's mm-hmm. a hard age in general. Yeah. Yeah. And that carried on, honestly, through high school and college. Like, I will, I've always said that I kind of missed out on my teenage years completely. Oh, for sure. um, Because I was just, I had different priorities at that time in my life. You know, I was fighting cancer. I was fighting. You were fighting for your life. Yeah, you were fighting for your life. I didn't care about class. I didn't care about the latest movie. I didn't care about, you know, what everybody else did. My interests were very different at that point. And so I even just struggled to relate with them. Like once I got into high school and was going back to school and saw these people, you know, my friends every day, I still struggled to find the connections of, you know, what do you talk about? Like, yeah. How do you relate? Cause your life has been just so dramatically different than everybody else's uh, during exactly. those times, those years. Mm-hmm. So you, you, I'm sure you had a different perspective on life than than most of the kids your age. I did. I, I really, I understood at that point, and I, and I will always say that I'm very blessed for this. I understand at that age how life is short mm-hmm. and it can change overnight. So. You know, people always talk about bucket lists and things like this. And I know you talked about that at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. I choose not, not to have bucket lists. Yeah, like I'm if, just going to do I it. If I want to do something, I'm, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um, because I don't want to wait because I know that I might not have tomorrow. And I also understood, um, you know, my faith is very important to me. So I was able to understand at a very young age, life has purpose. Mm, God has sounds, a purpose for us. Mm-hmm. It sounds Prayers like you work, miracles happen. <clears throat> yeah, it sounds like you had to, to grow up really fast. Yeah. And so because I was growing up, I so I always considered I looked at it I was socially more mature than my friends. Yeah. yeah. But it's almost like you just got how life works. <laughs> You know, like the importance, the purpose, the like you just understood so much more than what your typical teenager, you know, maybe takes for granted mm-hmm. or just has no awareness, imagine. really. Like oh, when you're awareness. a teenager, you're yeah. basically an idiot. I mean, listen, <laughs> yeah, let's just be honest. 
didn't I didn't do the things that normal teenagers do. I didn't sneak out of the house. I didn't go to parties. I didn't I didn't do any of that because yeah. a I was still on chemo. You know, yeah. I was, yeah. I wasn't going to go and go drinking when I'm putting, you know, mm-hmm. chemotherapy in my body. Yeah. yeah. How I mean, uh, how did that affect your family cuz you were so young and then it, you mentioned you had a brother and a sister that were older than you. Your dad was working a lot. Your mom was kind of sticking with you. How did that affect your your family in a whole during this time? You know, it's really interesting because, you know, my sister and and she'll – I always love telling the story. Um, So, again, my sister was a freshman in college, so she only knew what my parents were telling her. Um, Mm. I was never extremely close to my siblings. I mean, we were – we're close, but not like, you know, really close siblings. And right. my sister, you know, she was the oldest grandchild to go off to college. And, you know, that was a huge achievement just in general. And all of a sudden, here I am with cancer taking that limelight away from her. Oh, yeah. And okay. so at one point, she called me a selfish weenie, oh. um, which I think is hilarious. Actually, <laughs> I, I laughed so hard. Well, at the word weenie definitely isn't used much. <laughs> anymore (laughs) and then and then my brother being especially being a boy I don't think he knew what to do oh yeah you know he's he's never been you know the the emotional compassionate type you know kind of person and I think he he was curious about what was going on with me but at the same time he wanted to live a normal life he wanted to be a normal high school yeah, it was, was like it was better out. better off him not knowing than knowing. You know, he Correct. probably was afraid to know, and it was just easier for him to deal with it just to be oblivious. It's a coping mechanism, yeah. yeah. And and with my dad, he he was amazing. I will say, um, he gave up his chair in the family room. My The family room that was like his domain became my domain, and he mm. went to the basement to watch TV and things like that. Um, but he was supportive. Like, he showed his support the way that my dad showed support is by doing things for us, by going to work. You know, when I was in the hospital, he would come to the hospital room um, after work and mm. read the newspaper in my room. Oh, and time that with was you. his way of showing love. But mm-hmm. I know it was really frustrating for him because I was something he couldn't fix. Mm. I, you know, I was something that he just had to trust the doctors and the medical, you know, system would yeah. would heal me, and that's what he did. Um, and then my mom, she was a music teacher, and she basically had to stop being the one thing she loved the most, which was teaching music. And become a full-time nurse, which mm-hmm. I love my mom, but my mom was not cut out to be a nurse. <laughs> it, um, it takes a particular person. <laughs> yeah. She did the best she could, and she did a great job, but nursing is not her calling. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and I will, you know, but she also became my best friend because mm. – I didn't have that. So it became, you know, my mom and I, she was the one taking me to the outpatient clinic, you know, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday every week for six months. Right. How is y'all's relationship today? 
my sister and I have an amazing relationship. Uh, my brother and I have a great relationship as well. He has, you know, he and his wife, I have nephews because of them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my parents are so supportive of everything that I do. Um, they are great supporters of, you know, the various organizations that helped me throughout my life, mm -hmm. um, things like that. And they're, you know, they're really involved in that aspect of things of just, you know, they've done volunteer work throughout their lives. You know, my mom has um, for various cancer organizations as well. So they're all really supportive. Um, I'm going to call my siblings out on this podcast, though, because neither of them, <laughs> I don't think, have read the original book. Oh, um, <laughs> get it, guys. Uh -oh. Get it. Jump on it. Christmas. But it's all good. I love them. Oh, that's, that's, awesome. that's good that you guys got through it. I mean, it's just such an awkward, hard time, uh, those teenage years. And then especially like with siblings that are, even if you're just like four years apart, it's like 20 years apart when you're kids. Mm -hmm. And then as you get it to be an adult, it's like, oh, we're the same age. <laughs> and oh, so, absolutely. yeah. And I think part of the reason neither of them have read the book is because mm. I, I don't know if there's guilt there or if it's just they don't want to know what happened to me. Yeah, mm. that's that's tough. They don't want to know that what I really went through. And I've heard that from other people saying, I, mm -hmm. I want to read your book, but I just can't mm. because I yeah. don't want to know what you really did, what really happened. It's an, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to face the truth. Um, and especially as you become an adult and that awareness and like we were just talking about, you are aware of these things. And you kind of looking back, it, I can only imagine that like you said there could be a feeling of guilt and remorse but um but there could also be peace uh, as well which actually brings me to um the next kind of discussion is you you had mentioned in your bio that you struggled with depression um can you tell us a little bit more about that and how you you finally found peace yeah i was gonna just say one thing with that too because you you also said you know your dad you know he couldn't fix you and that like stuck out to me because that means that's how you were feeling inside. Like, I can't, I want to fix me, but I can't. And you, you must've, I guess, felt some sort like, of like broken and you just wanted to make, yeah, even though none of that's your, none of it was your fault, but I could understand right. how you're like, I just want to make this all go away. So my, my mom is happy and my dad is happy and I can have a, a normal life, you know? In, in reality, we, we, get, we put our trust and faith in God and the doctors and the medicine. Mm -hmm. um, I knew that what I was going through was was to some degree a burden on the family because I knew that, like, there would be family functionings we would go through, and it would be like, oh, yeah, we're going to show up, and then all of a sudden it's like, nope, we can't because I'm right. sick. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the depression actually didn't show up for years. Um, it showed up um, – it was – it basically happened with the perfect storm is how I describe it. Mm. I was celebrating uh, my 15th year of being a cancer survivor. And that year it, it, it hit me that I had been a cancer survivor longer than I had been a normal child mm. because I was diagnosed at age 14. Right. So there was this realization of, I will never know what it feels like to be quote unquote normal. And I started thinking about all the stuff that I, you know, missed out on and what cancer took away from me. 
Mm -hmm. um, it was the first time that I really ever saw cancer more as a bad thing. Right. Um, because I was always, always, I was always able to see the positives in cancer. I was always able to see, you know, what it had done good in my life and how it had affected me in a positive way. Right. But that year it really affected me negatively. And then my aunt died of undiagnosed cancer. Um, oh. And then my, um, and then my brother got married. And so I saw, you know, me missing out on everything cancer took away from me. I saw my uncle lose the love of his life. Right. And then I saw my brother marry the love of his. Mm. Yeah. And I started realizing I just got caught up in what is the purpose of living and loving if it can all be taken away. Oh, that's a downward spiral for sure. And it just, just sounds like it's just angry, right? Just at that point. It it was it was anger. It was sadness. It it was more it was more sadness, I think, than anger. Mm. Um, because there was nothing I could do. Like, I, yeah. I you couldn't you can't go back. It's a helpless feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Helpless. That is an excellent term for it. You know, it, mm -hmm. and I just started to feel numb inside. Like I, I couldn't feel, um, I honestly was suicidal. I mm. had thoughts of, you know, killing myself. It has taken me years to be able to say that out loud. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just wanted, I wanted connection again. I had lost so much. I had lost friends to cancer. Um, and I had just lost so much that I wanted to find connection again. And I searched and searched for it. And I just so happened, a, a old friend of mine who I'd known, she had cancer as well. She invited me um, to go dancing with her. Hmm. And I told her I don't dance. And she was like, come anyways, just yeah. do something with there me. There you go. And I went. And um, Daniel, the ballroom dance instructor who kind of organized the event, um, you know, I was sitting there and he's like, come dance with me. And I was like, I don't dance. And he's like, you don't have to, you just have to follow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. If Love they're it. good, they're going to make you look amazing. <laughs> and he, I will say him reaching his hand out to me that day saved my life. Oh my gosh. Because I went to the studio, his dance studio that Friday um, for just a little dance party, just to see what it was about. Mm -hmm. And it was there that I met other people, um, Pat and, and Royce primarily, that I remember that very first day. And, you know, at the end of that Friday night dance party, they there was a tradition where all the students would go and, and have dinner afterwards. Uh -huh. And Pat included me on that, even though she had only known me for, you know, a couple hours. She said, hey, come on in, come join us. And it was that connection that I was craving in life. Right. Yeah. That makes um, sense. And because of that, I'm here to tell my story today. Mm. Wow. Does she know that now? Does she, does she know your story? I have told them. Um, I've, I, when I finally found peace, um, that was the beginning of me finding peace, but what also really helped was um, there is a song by Brit Nicole called All This Time. I heard it on the radio driving home from work, and 
I cried because the lyrics of that song um, talk about how God is with you all the time. Yep. Yep. He and speaks. I realized that, you know, God had been with me through the cancer, mm-hmm. but I had forgotten who he was with the depression. Oh my gosh. The and depression. The will combination do that. of remembering God is still there and remembering the, and what had Pat and Daniel and Royce had done was what really, I just one day woke up and just felt peace in my heart. That's amazing. And it was right before Christmas. And I knew my parents worried about me. I was living with my parents at the time. They knew I had depression. They knew I had issues. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I felt that peace, I went and found a dove ornament. And that's the ornament they got for Christmas. Oh, you know, doves symbolize peace. They do. Yeah. And, it, and you know, it's funny because a simple act of kindness goes such a long way I, I mean there's been instances when people have reached out to to me or even my husband from like years ago that call us to thank us for something and I mean something like profound you know and and we have no idea I mean we might not even remember but they did and it changed the tra- the trajectory of their life you know I I am a huge advocate for those little random acts of kindness because yeah. you never know whose life you are saving. Yeah. You just don't. That's very true. You just don't. Thank <clears throat> God. Um, he He's always pursuing us. And this world, it's really easy to, you know, go in that downward spiral and have the depression or the anxiety or the fears um, and to feel alone. And but God is always pursuing us and it's, it's just when the right person comes across or the, the right song comes on, it's just that reminder. He's like, Hey, Hey, come on, shake it off. I'm here. I got you. And it's just such a, a warm feeling when you know. And I think it's also hard too, though, like when those, those people are placed in your lives, depending on where you are, you're either going to be open to it or not. Um, and the fact that you, this person reached out to you and said, Hey, come dance with me. And you were reluctant, but then you set you, you let go. Mm -hmm. Like that was a saving grace, but that was a gift from God. But you, you took it, you know, um, not even knowing, not even knowing that that was going to be what the door, the door. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. God is so cool. So the title of your book, I guess it fits appropriately with Faith, Hope, and Cancer. You want to tell us a little more about the book? Or, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i going to need to get it now. It's on mm-hmm. Amazon, yeah, so I know where to find Amazon it. It's on the Amazon list already. <laughs> so, so my book, um, it, so it stemmed from um, these cancerversary emails that I have written since basically the Internet started. Um, when I turned 21, um, the internet finally existed and, you know, <laughs> emails were a thing. Yep. And I just aged myself right there. Just a and, little. <laughs> um, so I decided on that, on January 25th, the day I was diagnosed, which is the day I celebrate my cancerversary, I was going to be, I was going to send out an email to people um, that I knew, my basically my family and friends, and say, hey, 
today is the day I was diagnosed. This is the day that I celebrate life. You please celebrate your lives too. Mm -hmm. Like a reminder. Mm -hmm. And since then, I didn't realize it at the time, but this has now become my tradition where I send out emails and the email list has grown tremendously, but I send out emails every year on January 25th for, as I've coined the term cancerversary emails. And many, for many years, people were like, write a book, write a book, write a book. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't write. <laughs> uh, my English teachers in school would have said, doesn't <laughs> she write. doesn't write. <laughs> And um, one of the benefits of having cancer as a kid is you do have a topic for every high school paper or in every college paper out there. So, you know, with I had saved all those papers and all of my papers were basically, you know, a, a journal of my journey um, on the various topics. And in 2016, my husband um got a job where I was then able to quit a job that I hated. And within two weeks of me quitting my job, I sat down to reread all my high school and college papers. Hmm. And I realized now's the time to write a book. And within two weeks, I had a rough draft written. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. And, um, I've tried writing. It, it's not easy. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. I am. I I wrote from the heart. Mm -hmm. I write. Uh, my journey is sad, hilarious, and um, inspiring. Mm -hmm. It talks about my diagnosis. It talks about um, what it was like relationship-wise with you know my friends and and things like that. It talks about you know, what it was like to be in school and have cancer. Yeah. Um, I talk about a medical miracle that happened. Mm. Um, and it talks about just what it was like growing up with cancer because so many times people think, oh, you're done with treatment. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. You can be normal again. Right. Yeah, that doesn't happen. No. Um, especially for kids with cancer. There's always this umbrella of I'm a survivor. Right. Like, I don't dwell on the fact that I'm a cancer survivor. I live my life, but it, there's always this risk of secondary cancers, long-term effects, and right. things like that. And and being having cancer at such a young age, it really formed who I am and who mm -hmm. I've become. I am a much more spiritual person now. I yeah. I do have different beliefs than even my, my peers nowadays, um, it took me years to feel like I was at the same level as my peers. Mm -hmm. um, it took me until probably my late 20s, early 30s before I could say I felt I was on the same playing field as my peers. Yeah. Um, and so that's what this is about. And next year, I will be releasing in 2020. In 2024, I will be releasing a, a second edition to my book um, that captures um, skin cancer diagnosis that has occurred since the book was published mm -hmm. and some other things that have happened that I feel need to be part of my story as well. Yeah. Um, faith has always played a big part of my story. I trusted God from the beginning. Um, prayer 
that has always played a big part in my story. Hope is always a part of my life. And then cancer. And it just hit me one night as I was sleeping. You know, that's going to be the title of my book, Faith, Hope, and Cancer. I love it. It's -hmm. it's a great title because it shares, like, just from the first part, Faith and Hope, it's like, um, Rachel and I were, were raised, um, as believers in Christ and you gotta have the faith and you gotta have the hope. I mean, really to get through life. And if you don't, it's a, it's like a dark, hopeless nightmare. And so I love faith and hope. And then the cancer, just, you know, what, what you went through. And I, and I have to say that it's not always faith in a higher power. Sometimes it's faith in yourself yeah. that you can get through this. Yeah, right. Um, so, and it's having faith in the doctors, and it's having faith in the medication, mm-hmm. and it's having yep. faith in the, in the researchers who yep. are doing these things. So it's not always, you know, faith in in God or whoever, you know, you believe in in your religion. Right. It's the importance of having faith in yourself. Yeah, is so important too. It's definitely a, a a layered word for sure. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, I look forward to to looking it up on Amazon and purchasing it. And then, when's your second book coming out? It does. I do not have a release date yet. Okay. Um, but it is being um, published with um, Bellisteri um, Publishing. I know those and people. Yeah, it we know those people. It should be coming out um, before, hopefully, May of okay. 2024. Amazing. Oh, I love that. And then that's how we met you was through Dana Sue and, and Bill because um, she gave me your information was like, I think you guys need to have Carolyn on your podcast. And then she gave me a little brief of you. I was like, oh, my gosh, absolutely. Just your story and everything that you've been through. And overcome. I appreciate being here. Mm-hmm. So, so fun facts real quick. You mentioned in your bio that animals, music, humor, and art can help improve one's health, but also help one cope with illness. I just wanted you to share a little bit about that. So obviously I said at the beginning, you know, my passion growing up was zoology. I've loved animals since the get-go and <laughs> um, always love dogs um stuffed animals as well i had a stuffed animal dog katie who went through my entire cancer journey with me um she even goes through the skin cancer journey now with me even (laughs) though i'm in my 40s (laughs) and when i was diagnosed um i laughed a lot my nurses coined me pollyanna um, because i was always laughing there was always something to smile and laugh about thanks Mm -hmm. to my mom and one of the doctors came in and told us that when you laugh, you release endorphins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, endorphins is a really, you know, awkward word to say. And so my mom and I shortened it to dolphins. Uh, endorphins. And dolphins. Okay. So <laughs> I always say look for the dolphins in life. The reason yes. to laugh. Yes. Uh, Great. You know, that's just a wonderful way to add the animal aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to, you know, music, um, music played a big part of my life, specifically Christian rock music. 
um, because it was just really motivational and really just inspiring music that I needed to hear. And it's, it's filled with hope. Yeah. It's uplifting. Um, Mm -hmm. And so whatever music you enjoy, listen to it, Yeah, you know, because it, it can be uplifting. It doesn't have to be Christian rock. It can be whatever music you individually like. Yep. It's Um, Music is so healing. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with art, um, what I have to laugh because when I, I'm not an artist, I do not draw. I jokingly say I draw stick figure dolphins. Um, (laughs) Sounds like me. (laughs) But I look at it as um, ballroom dancing is an art form. And that Mm -hmm. is what healed me from the depression. It is one of the things that I love the most in life um being on a dance floor truly is my happy place and if i could ballroom dance every day i would what kind of ballroom dancing do you do um my favorites are swing um foxtrot and rumba okay you like the high Um, energy ones (laughs) i i do Um, but i also love you know the good old fashioned you know, waltz and tangos. Mm-hmm. Like the tango. Um, wow. I I love the Fred Astaire music. Oh, yeah. Um, Super fun. So. Oh, I love that. That's my jam. Oh, <laughs> so cool. Um, and then just real quick, so you, you also mentioned you plan on raising $10,958 for ACS Gold Together, which would be $1 for every day you've survived. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sounds like a, a really fun goal. I love it. So 2020, uh, I keep saying 2020. I know, but we're all stuck in 2020. <laughs> um, 2024 will be my 30th year of survival. And I, you know, it dawned on me a while ago. Wow, 30 years. Like, that's crazy. Um, and so I realized, you know, I want to do something big. I want this year to be a year of celebration. Hmm. And I joined the American Cancer Society Gold Together Initiative a couple of years ago, which is their pediatric cancer initiative, where all the money raised for this initiative goes to pediatric cancer okay. research, um, family support, and programming. Hmm. And so I decided that next year I want to raise $10,958 for this, which equates to $1 for every day that I've survived from January 25th, 1994 to January 25th, 2024. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, this is going to be aside from surviving cancer, and depression, this is going to be the biggest task I have ever taken on. But I know I can do it. I know it can be done. And I'm dedicating the entire year to raising this money for it. And I figured I'm going to have fun with it and do little sponsorships where, you know, if people donate $30, they've donated a month. Um, you know, people. I've had people say, I can't believe you're putting a cost on your life, but I'm, I, and I said, you know what, this year I'm playing the cancer card and I am because it is worth it. And it's going to impact so many kids 
um, in the future because unfortunately, even though I survived, mm-hmm. I have many friends who have not. Yeah. And I know there are still childhood cancers where there's no cure and yeah. their families are told we have no treatment options. Go home and love your child because you have less than a year with them left. Oh, that's and just devastating. in this day and age, <clears throat> that's yeah. not acceptable in my opinion. Agreed. Agreed. And yeah, yeah. that is why, that is my why. Because I survived for a reason. I am still here. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to make my life count. I love that. That's mm-hmm. wonderful. And congratulations on, you know, surviving 30 years cancer free. Um, I love that you celebrate it every year. And that you worth bring other, you, that you bring everyone in and saying, hey, don't just celebrate my life, celebrate your life because you're here yeah. today, you know, like live your mm-hmm. life, you know, appreciate your life and go with it. Well, and that's the thing is people who haven't been through something like this or have experienced it within the family or through friends. I mean, it feels like today you've got to know at least one person, unfortunately, who has cancer. But unless it affects you on such an intimate level, you know, it's easy to take things for granted, take life, take your daily the daily things that, like, you know, we get to enjoy, exercise, you know, social life, whatever it is, um, daily tasks around the house that we complain about. It's ba- like basic things. Just, yeah, It's basic things we take for granted. So I think that's such a great, great reminder, not just for yourself, but that you encourage others to, like, hey, be present, you know, and, and you know, don't take today for granted because you're right. Tomorrow is never guaranteed. We have to love life, live life, and cherish every moment. Wow. Love it. Well, how can people find you? They can find me at um, www.leukemiagirl.com. And that is basically my website that has everything about me, everything about my book. Um, I have blogs there. I have a few um, vlogs as well. Um, I did start a YouTube channel called Leukemia Girl. Okay. Um, Leukemia Girl is my tagline. Uh, when I was in high school, I had a girl call me that. And at the time, it irritated me beyond belief, um, because she was calling me that behind my back. Right. I've always been a very direct, outspoken individual. Um, cancer made me even worse, as some people say. <laughs> worse or better. But, I, you know, I went up to her at that time at a football game, and I said, hey, you have every right to call me leukemia girl. I have leukemia, and I am a girl. But if you're going to call me that, I ask that you call it to my face. And at the time, again, I hated the fact that she had done this, but now – I've embraced it, and I love the fact that, you know, I am leukemia girl. Again, I am a girl, and I had leukemia, so it fits. I love it. Well, it, it, it does fit, and um, I'm glad you stand up and you use your voice, too. That's that's empowering. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Well, um, thank you so much for, again, just being on our show and sharing your story um, we really look forward to purchasing your book and sharing it with, you know, everyone we know, uh, especially since, as you know, um, we started the Stride Project um, very recently, just a couple months ago, 
and we do have our first um, cancer patient and her family. I don't know if you know much about her, but her name is Julia, and she's only two years old. And she was diagnosed with like a, it's like a nervous, like central nervous um, cancer. Where you get tumors, yeah. Yeah, she has tumors in her brain and her spinal cord. Spinal and she cord. she actually just had an MRI. And unfortunately, they they did not get the results they were looking for. So we are praying for her and we are, um, we're excited to be sponsoring Julia and her family because um, they also have three, not just Julia, but they have three siblings plus Julia. So there's a, a lot of kiddos um, and they just, I think they could use our help. So we have, I don't know, I know that you're having your, your I don't wanna say your challenge, but you're raising for ACS school together. But um, we're hoping every, I don't know, every three months or so, we're going to have new challenges. Our very first challenge is going to be this January uh, 1st through the 31st. We're doing 30 minutes of movement a day just to kind of get people, you know, ready for the new year, kind of get motivated to move. And it's like you could do anything you want, yoga, hiking, walking, golfing, you name it. Um, but it's basically, you know, you're going to commit for 31 days. 30 minutes of movement. We encourage to reduce <laughs> or take out yeah. alcohol or sugar, but people get freaked out when we say that. So we're like, look, if you can just move for 30 minutes a day, join the challenge, you know, do a little fundraising and help out this family that we have in. So that's what we have going. I was actually looking at your website and I, it is a great motivator for me to start moving and doing Yay. things. I ran my first 5K on Thanksgiving you um, did. did well, it was my first 5K in 10 years. Okay. And I was shockingly surprised on how well I did time-wise, and it has motivated me. There and you go. so this little, uh, I like things to motivate me. So this, yeah. these upcoming events are great ways to keep me motivated and keep me moving. Awesome. Yeah, that's the, you know, that's the cool thing with the Stride Project is it's that dual mission of helping people get more active and also helping, uh, you know, families that are in need that are going through cancer and um, just being there to support them and then being there to support each other. As you said, it's motivating. It's like we're all going to be able to do this together and we're all we're all on the same page. You know, we're all we all have our different goals, but we all have goals. So um, that's coming up in January. And as you can see, we have different events that we're going to be doing down the road. So it should be really fun. I love it. You know, doing something for a good cause is never a bad thing. It's never <laughs> a bad thing. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Please feel free to share um, our story um, as we share your story. And we're all here helping out each other. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much, Carolyn. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure to stay tuned for the next podcast. You can find out more at thestrideproject.org.